Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It is Monday, August the 2nd, 2021, here at Rose of Sharon Baptist Church. Well, it's actually Monday, August the 2nd, 2021, everywhere right now at this moment. So, except um, for Japan. Except for in Tokyo, right? That is probably like August the 3rd. No, uh, but it's good to have you here with us uh, on this Monday morning. Uh, we, we missed getting to do Monday Main Point last week, and so we're going to kind of back up a little bit. And um, since what we do here on Monday Main Point is we gather together, the, past, the pastoral staff gets together from Rosa Sharon, and we talk about the uh, previous week's message uh, in a little bit more detail. Um, we had a message yesterday, and we will be talking about that. We're planning on actually releasing two uh, main points this week, the Monday one today, and then we'll do a midweek main point on Wednesday um, to cover the yesterday's message. Uh, right now, we're going to kind of backtrack all the way back to two Sundays ago when, we, uh, when Jeff brought us a message about uh, discernment from Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11. So uh, that's what we're going to, that's going to be the topic uh, today, guys. And uh, we're just going to go back and talk a little bit about that message and a little bit about what Paul, that, that Paul's prayer for discernment there. Um, and so, yeah, so uh, with me today is the whole staff. Um, we got Jeremiah back from Oklahoma, uh, our youth pastor, and yeah. Blake, um, fresh off of a really busy vacation Bible school night last night uh, with our children's ministry. And then Jeff, uh, our senior pastor, always busy. Um, so <laughs> we're glad to have all these guys with us. All right, so let's get into it, guys. Um, so. <clears throat> Philippians. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna read the nine through eleven, and this is actually part of a a larger prayer that Paul is praying for the believers there in Philippi, and um, you can back it all the way up to verse three. In fact, um, but we're just gonna look at these the last three verses of this prayer before he actually launches launches into um, uh, his his the body of his letter about advancing the gospel in spite of persecution and such. Um, but this first prayer that he prays, he's praying for the Philippian believers. And here's what he says at the end of that prayer. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters mm. and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Um, you know, I, I can start actually from the end here a little bit, Jeff. I, well, you mentioned at the very end of the sermon when you preached on this that um, this is a great prayer to uh, pray for oneself, but also to pray for other people. I, I, um, there was a time in my life where I was, uh, I, I sort of set Philippians to memory. I like the book, and I just decided I wanted to memorize something, and so I started with Philippians. And as I was, <clears throat> when you go to memorize a text, what you find is because repetition is how you remember, and as you repeat things over and over, um, they take on new life. Not new meaning, but they just the, the, the meaning becomes deeper and more real. And as I was, pray, as I was reading through this, I saw the, the merit in this prayer, and I actually began to pray this prayer for some of my um, some of the students that I was I was mentoring at the time, and it, and it just became my prayer for for other people mm -hmm. <clears throat> because I uh, that that they would you know 
because Paul says, you know, he starts that prayer off by saying, I thank, I thank my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. And I had just left, <clears throat> I had just that year left a, <clears throat> left a student ministry that I've been part of for nine years. And I, those students were still in my life and I was still concerned about them. And so from afar, you know, as God gave me a remembrance of them, I was praying for them in this manner. And one of the things I prayed for them is this prayer of discernment. Um, so, yeah, I agree. I, I think I think it's a it's it, from this is a I mean, to be fair, the gospel is in every message. This is really a more practical message. I think this is a message that's meant more for the Christian believer um, who is trying to live a life in, in a culture that is um, that defines discernment differently than we do. You know? Well, I mean, we live in a culture that says we've already discerned these things for you. Yeah. This is the truth, mm. and this is what you should believe. Mm -hmm. And if you don't line up the way we feel like you should, then you're the one that's at fault. You're the one being judgmental. You're the one mm. uh, making accusations or whatever. So, so for the Christian, then, we're told, told we should discern and we should judge, but we don't want to come across as being judgmental because so often that's what happens and uh, so we're talking to a world that is is filled with non-believers or unbelievers or people that not yet believing yet, and we're trying to impose our discernment on them, which is just as bad as the world imposing their discernment on us. Yeah, and you know, I, I got into this past week when I was in um, when I was back in Kentucky uh, and I was teaching some philosophy students. Um, I got into talking to them about about this idea of truth, you know, and and. And with exactly what you just said about how the culture is kind of how the culture's changed how it defines what's true and what's not. And you know, during the study of it all postmodern era, and everybody said, okay, there is no truth. We don't want there to be truth because if there's truth, then somebody can say, well, I've got a monopoly on that. I'm going to use my monopoly on truth to leverage against everybody else and oppress them, right? And so I said, okay, well, how we keep from pe people using truth to oppress other people? We just say there is no truth and there is no discernment. And you discern for yourself what's good and what's right. And there for a long time, that was sort of the, the standard, the rule of thumb. I think that that is shifting. I think that's <laughs> shifting. And, and, and here's, here's how I think it's shifting. I think what's happening now is, and you hear this as people are discussing things like critical theory. So what's happening now is they're saying, okay, we don't want people to have a monopoly on truth and we need a standard. They realize we need a standard for truth. And so now the standard for truth, Jeremiah, is um, my experience. So if unless I've experienced experience something I can't speak truth to it and to put that in terms of discernment right unless I've experienced something I can't discern in regards to that thing for instance you know we, we've talked on this at this table before about the idea of justice right mm -hmm. so there's this notion out there that says unless I've experienced oppression or injustice I'm not allowed to speak to justice I literally read a post by an evangelical who said to someone else, you don't have the divine right to speak to justice. Mm. You don't have the divine right to speak, saying this to another evangelical, you don't have the divine right to speak to justice 
because you've not experienced oppression, you've not experienced injustice. And so you see how, how that, that, that shift has happened. The culture knows we need a standard for truth, right? But now standard for truth is the experience is being elevated. Yeah, and I mean, if I could, if I could say this, uh, their concern about allowing the oppressor to have a monopoly on truth has just turned 180, right? And right. now it's the oppressed who has the monopoly on truth. Exactly. And uh, it's it's sort of it's sort of a dangerous thing. I mean, I, I see the merit in it, right? Like we want the oppressed to have a voice too. Sure. Um, of course, we believe truth comes from, or objective truth comes from uh, Scripture, and all truth flows from that, uh, come from, comes from God, directly from God. So all truth is God's truth uh, kind of thing. But, yeah, they've shifted from the oppressor having a monopoly on truth to the oppressed having a monopoly of, on truth. And I think the dangerous thing is is people might start seeking oppression, like mm. trying to figure out, where am I oppressed? How can I fit in and, and be able to uh, relate to those who have been oppressed? Um, and then that might cause, it's going to cause issues because then we won't be able to discern, there's that word, discern <laughs> where actual oppression is happening. Right. People are crying wolf, right? Like, mm -hmm. man, I'm oppressed, I'm oppressed. But they're not really. They just want to be able to speak truth. Yeah. And, and, and see... To go to back to this message, because your first point in this message was that from from the text that we will continue to grow in discernment that's grounded uh -huh. in love. Mm -hmm. And Blake, when when it, okay, let's just be honest at the table, guys. There have been times where our our uh, our claim to truth, um, the Christian claim to truth, has been leveraged to hurt other people. I mean, well, I mean, we, we have to be real about that. But when it has been leveraged to hurt other people, it's because, precisely because, we didn't ground that discernment in love. And that's why, Blake, I think that's why it's so important that we ground our discernment in love. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, you know, our whole goal is like, and I think, let me backtrack a little bit. When we are, like, when we're not grounded in love and we're so much in truth, we're just trying to win an argument. You know, that's right. And no, we're no, just trying right. to win an argument. And I think a lot of times, you know, in like fundamental circles and even in circles that we are in sometimes, I think we can, uh, I feel like we forget that our goal is to win people instead of win arguments. Mm. And especially uh, with us being like in seminary environments and things like that, we always debate theology, things like that for right. fun. And we always try to, you know, point it back to Jesus. But Sometimes we just get all this notion that we want to win an argument, but really we're supposed to win souls, and that's why we have to ground it in love, because if it's not grounded in love, it takes away from the whole mission. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I think that, that too often, and I think it's a point you were making in your introduction, uh, Jeff, when, when I was rereading re your introduction a moment ago. You were talking about how too often the church, um, we know we, we need to be discerning, but um, we, use, we use discernment like a big stick to beat people with. And Paul says, and you quoted this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13 too, in that awesome chapter about, about, um, about the love, love, right? If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, if I understand every truth and all knowledge, and if I have all this faith that I can move mountains, 
But I don't have love, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. That's why it's so important that you add that. I think it's so important that you add love to that. Right, and that's, that was the big point I was trying to make. I had to explain discernment, knowledge, what all that meant, because that's important, but that's not the goal. Me just obtaining more truth and knowledge is not really the goal. The goal mm-hmm. is that, that agape love. So now that I have this truth and knowledge, then how am I going to apply that, or how am I going to apply it to my own life, or how am I going to use my discernment to help someone else that maybe um, maybe they're caught up in a sin that I don't agree with or a lifestyle. Mm-hmm. How do I approach that person now? Do I come in with the heavy hammer of judgment and, you know, thus saith the Lord and the Bible says this and boom, he, that the barrier is already up and the person's not even listening to me. Or do I come in and say, listen, you know, I, I want to be your friend. I'm here to pray for you. I don't know if you believe in God, things like that, but I'm here for you. Right. If you have any questions or anything and then approach it that way, we can still have a relationship and then at the, at the beginning of the relationship, you say, look, regardless of, you know, where this friendship relationship goes, right. um, I'm here for you. Right. Uh, but if you, if you are seeking and all, and you do want to talk about things, I'm there for you as well. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and at the same time, if they do ask you, you know, what are your opinions or what are your beliefs? You can tell them, but tell them in love. Like, you know, this is, this is why I believe this and this is how I believe, but I'm not condemning you or condoning you. This is something you've got to figure out on your own as well. So. Yeah. I think, I think you have to have both ends, right? Because, yes. you know, it's, it's been said by some, you know, greater minds than mine. But the idea is, is if you have, if I give you love without truth, mm-hmm. or to borrow here, love without discernment, right? Then, then I'm, I'm giving, I'm, I'm doing you harm in many ways because I'm saying that, that it's okay. You go do whatever you want to do. You know, if a parent gives love without giving truth, um, then, then you have, or dis, or teaching discern in a discerning way. Then you have kids who think that everything is permissible, mm-hmm. and that and that and it's permissible because they love me. Well, actually, I've taken love away from you. Right, that's right. Right. On the other hand, though, if I give you discernment, if I give you truth without giving you love, then I'm I, I'm beating you up. I'm not. I'm you know. I'm I'm not actually helping you grow at all. And I'm and I'm teaching you to resent the truth that I'm trying to give you. So right. I think you have to have both. I think it's a both and thing. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the guy, you know, we were talking about the oppressors uh, having the voice. And there's, a, I think it's a Yiddish uh, uh, saying that says that the oppressors, uh, the oppressed become the oppressors. Mm-hmm. So in other words, when they do finally get the authority, then they all of a sudden, now they're oppressing the people. Right. And I think that's kind of yeah. where our culture is too, because... I was thinking about that today, uh, in particular with, uh, uh, you know, the Olympics are going on, and I was reading the article about the fencing team, and one guy on the team, uh, he's an alternate, he didn't fence with the guys, but he was accused of sexual assault or something like that, mm. and they had a, uh, but he got reinstated, they felt like there were no truth there, but the guys on the team didn't like it. And so they wore pink masks in protest. And so mm-hmm. he's on the battle stand with them, and he's like, he's got a black mask. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, would well, y'all have another pink mask? They're like, no. Well, then he finds out later they did it on purpose. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I was thinking about how the Puritans used to take people, make them wear the scarlet letter, right, put right. them in the public square, in the stocks and all. And so we've created now a new Puritan ethic yeah. of people that are – that are using their platforms and, and, and the media and all to to say we're the righteous standard 
and these people are bad. And so they're, they can't, they can't ground their truth in love because agape love is love unconditional. Right. And so, so they're doing the things that they accused the early Christians of, and yeah. even some Christians in our modern day of doing that they're, they're trying to speak truth without love. Yeah. And you know, um, one, one good thing that's coming out of, out of all, all the way our culture is bending now is at least they're, you know, it was really difficult to, to talk to someone about objective truth when they're denying objective truth. They're saying that all truth is relative. At least now they realize that we don't have to have a standard. Now their standard is off. I think their standard right. is, you know, again, and, 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 and I want to be careful here because I do think that experience can be um, evidence for truth, right? Experience can be, um, can be uh, uh, like, it's important in, 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 in figuring out what is true and what is not. I, there, there is an advantage to having, you know, there are certain things in life that I don't, I don't know because I've not experienced them personally. Um, you know, uh, this got brought up in one more club, postpartum depression, right? I don't know what that's like. Have, and there's no analog for me to know what that's like. And so for me to stand sit here and start talking about, you know, what women need to do who are, who are dealing with postpartum depression is a little disingenuous of me, right? But it's, I, I don't really know uh, what that is. Now, I can have sympathy for it, and I can listen to it. And I can even talk about um, policy and stuff for, like, maternity leave and things, but I need to have that perspective, um, or at least consult that perspective that actually does understand what that is, right? I get that. It's a useful tool. Um, but it can't be the standard of truth. And I think that's what I'm trying to get at. It can't, it can't be the standard. And whatever the standard is, we need to, um, we, it needs to be a standard that is grounded in love. And I think Christians have the standard of truth. We, 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 we hold that banner up, right? But we need to do it in love. Um, and, and then that leads us actually into the next part of this, right? Because each one of these is linked to the other. Um, and so I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment. So that, okay, so we want your love to grow in discernment. We want your love to grow in discernment. We want your discernment to be grounded in love. Why? So you can determine what really matters. And, and, and so you can determine what really matters. Man, Jeremiah, if we could just get Christians to get hold of that idea, Right. Determine what really matters. What what what's the, you know, there's so many other tertiary and secondary issues. But if we could get people just to understand that, you you need to be able to figure out what really matters in life. Yeah, if I was being honest, I think 95% of all of our jobs as pastors is trying to get Christians to to prioritize their life. Like, find the right priority. Like, this is priority one. Let's get there. Let's get priority one straight so that priority two, three, four, five fall mm. into place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's it's the same there. Like, figuring out what is it that actually matters. When we die, when we're standing before Jesus, what is it that matters? Mm. Um, when your kids stand before Jesus, mm. what is it that matters? Uh, and that's that should be priority one, right? Right. Uh, and so, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Bro. And I think, you know, I think a book that kind of speaks well, and that's like Ecclesiastes. 
Mm. And, you know, I, I was telling a guy, though, who was kind of, like, focused on, like, these tertiary and, like, secondary things, just wasn't really focusing on God much. I'm like, man, I just kind of encourage you to read this book because, you know, Solomon, you know, Solomon went through the th- same things you're going through now, and, you know, you need to come and see what his conclusion is mm-hmm. because, you know, all this is going to go away, you know, in a 150 years. I mean, none of this is going to matter. You're not even going to be around here, you know, but what are you doing right now that is going to matter? Yeah. Uh, you know, I think, I think that's, I think it's really smart is that um, so often we, we do get tangled up in what I would call temporal issues that yeah. have no eternal impact. I mean, we let, and we, and we understand why, because those things are pressing in on us. Right. I mean, you, you can't, you can't live in the culture we live in today. I mean, you could be an ascetic, I guess, and just lock yourself up in a room and cut off all, 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 all internet access and cut off all television and movies and music and all that stuff and just you and your Bible and that's it. Well, you're not having much of an impact on culture, Jeff. And, and so if you're going to be in culture, culture is going to press in on you. And then when it happens, right, you got to have discernment to be able to figure out what's 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 right to sit what, what are the right decisions to make and what's most important right and that's you know i showed the video of uh tim chalice and he narrowed it down to you know spiritual maturity that discernment is maturity being mature mm-hmm. growing up mm-hmm. and so uh if you look at that love chapter there's a phrase in there that says when i was a child I thought like a child, child right yeah you know I mean, i'm a man i put away childish things and right. so so our discernment then so if i if i'm using discernment the wrong way then i'm childish you know i'm winning the argument uh i zinged you or i sent out this twitter or whatever it is that i'm right. doing yeah. to, to you know to make me look good or or smart or uh or you know just getting upper hand but if i'm mature about it then i'm gonna think twice before i send send the post yeah and i'm really gonna pray about it and i'm really gonna Determine okay, is this is this argument or or this uh, confrontation I'm going to have? Um, you know, can I? How can I go in there and love? And then at the same time, what really matters? Does this really even matter? Mm-hmm. Does it really yeah. even matter for me to even push the button to send out the tweet <laughs> to respond yeah. or to say, hey, look, there's more important things. Yeah. How many, Jeff? How many church disputes and splits and pastors' jobs? would have been saved if if those guys had said okay is this a hill to die on yeah right you know what i'm saying yeah. like so often look and especially as ministers as, as pastors um you know we, we we find ourselves in these in you know business meetings and, and deacons meetings and things like that and sometimes things get heated and it's in that moment and, you know people people tend to make whatever is current whatever's really important to them the main issue mm-hmm. and, and 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 we would be wise to say okay um i understand why that you know try to understand where they're coming from but also is this something to start really kind of fighting back against again is this a hill to die on is this is is this is this violating some sort of doctrine that that we shouldn't be violating is this causing us us issues that um you know um that are that are biblical you know that, that you know i'm look if it's about the bible i'm i'm I'll, I'll fight for that if it's about christian doctrine i'll fight for that other than that we really shouldn't be fighting that much jay, jay. i mean you know what i'm saying yeah i mean i just think 
to to meetings sometimes it, it's just we we talk about the, the dumbest stuff i mean just yeah. the stuff that just does not matter i mean and in the text you're like well where, where are y'all coming from with this whole priority thing like the the text is it's it's your you're preparing for the day of Christ, whatever that is. It, it says it there. Where does it say that? Yeah, it's the third point. It's yeah, the third point. We're, we're going to get there in just yeah. a second. But yeah. you're right. You you you're doing all this. One thing leads into the other, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I want my discernment to be grounded in love, so that so that yeah. I can really determine what really matters. Is I think I think if your discernment's grounded in love, if your truth is grounded in love, then you're going to be able to determine what really matters in these issues. And you're going to be less likely to to fly off the handle over things that you shouldn't fly over the handle off of. Um, yeah, and I, I think so much of our discourse, even politically, is emotional. It is, and you can't really have a discussion with someone if they're coming from an emotional angle. And you got to say, "Hey, let's set aside all that those things, and let's let's sit here and talk and right. figure out what we need to to accomplish here." Right. Again, so, again, yeah. and it's only because it's fresh in my mind because I just lectured on it for like 20 hours but you know in in philosophy um argumentation is it are not 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 quarreling okay mm-hmm. but actually formulating good arguments for your case is part of what doing good philosophy is and good the best theologians are also really good philosophers and one of the things that that you, you're taught to do is to avoid those sort of what we call informal fallacies. And what what that is, is avoid making statements that are either, that are ambiguous in, in your language or that are irrelevant to the point. And one of the ways that you can do that is appeal to emotion. Mm-hmm. Like using your appeal to emotion to to say that this is, this is true. Well, emotion has nothing to do with it. The right. way I feel about things really has nothing to do with its truth value, right? Um, and, and, and there's there's other ones, and you know it doesn't matter. But, but, but to your point, yeah, so many people do that. And so one of the things that I, like, I'm guilty of it too. Mm-hmm. Right? I I I I can I can easily fly, especially if I'm not in the right mood. I can easily fly off the handle at something and be angry at something. And one of the things I had to kind of teach myself, and it's, it's a it's something that I I you know I kind of ask myself is okay. Am I, in this moment, am I going to react in my flesh or in my humanity, right? Am I going to react in my flesh or am I going to respond in the spirit? And, and, and if we take the time, and it takes time and patience, to respond in the spirit, then you'll have far less blow-ups and explosions and stuff. It's when we react that would get ourselves in trouble. We'll hate yeah, you. and I think, you know, I teach, like, whenever some kids or something like in children's church would be fighting sometime, you know, I'd tell them to take a deep breath and count to 10 or something, you know. Right. And, you know, if we take 10, 15 seconds, you know, a minute, two minutes, just to not say anything and breathe and, you know, pray and try to figure out, is this really worth it? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think two minutes of, you know, like <laughs> inner fighting with yourself is probably a lot better than 30 minutes of quarreling with another person over mm-hmm. something that doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think it is important to, you know, my parents always told me to pick your battles, but in order to pick your battles, you really need discernment. 
You do. You, know, you, you have you to have do. discernment Absolutely. to pick your battles. Right. And then you got to have a standard for discernment, right? right. I mean, you got to decide yeah. how am I going to know what's right? And, you know, you, you mentioned this, Jeff, um, in, in your message, but you, you quoted from 1 Thessalonians 5 21, where Paul writes to them to, to test all things and then hold on to what's good. I mean, too often when people, we got people out there holding on to stuff that's junk. Right. You know, it's, 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 it's not, it's not good. They're holding on to it and they're fighting for something that in the end is junk. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, um, the biggest thing about discernment, I think, uh, I didn't really get a chance in the message to help people understand how to have discernment, especially like if they read something on the internet or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, is to first of all, go to the source, find out who wrote the article. Um, and then you can actually get a biography from the person. You mm-hmm. can see their background and then you go, okay, this, this person has a certain angle right. and understanding and knowing that yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. But then you know where that person is coming from. But yeah. then at the same time, I would encourage people find the opposite view too. Yeah. read that. And then as you kind of, bring everything together that helps you have a better understanding uh, of how to really discern and, and to actually find the truth and of course god's word is for us you know praying is number one toolbox right number two would be the scriptures yeah and uh, the holy spirit you know interpreting the scripture for us number three and then our experience is a tool as well but it's it's like about fourth or fifth Mm-hmm. And if I don't have the experience, there are experiences in the Bible that we can draw from mm-hmm. that can give us insight, uh, insight and discernment as well. So, uh, again, it's just it's a matter of spiritual maturity. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna be mature enough <laughs> that I'm not gonna get into some kind of argument with somebody if they want to blow off steam. I'll be I'll be mature enough to let them just let me have everything they want to throw at me, all their emotion, everything. Mm-hmm. Take it and then say. Okay, uh, I see where you're coming from. Apologize, whatever you need to do, and then kind of move on. Try to yeah. keep keep that relationship going because right. the problem is if you once that relationship's broken, if you did have an opportunity to present the gospel, the opportunity's probably gone. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like what you said about you know getting that kind of like that uh, source that you don't agree with because you can actually learn a lot from people you disagree with. Yeah. Oh yeah. And right. you can also see maybe some, uh, some flaws in, even in your own argument. Like for example, I was talking to one of my friends one time who probably a little bit more left leaning and she was just kind of saying some problems she has with somebody who's a little bit more right leaning. And one thing that I learned was like, is like a lot of people on the right say they're pro life, mm-hmm. but they're not willing to like do adoption or anything yeah. like this and yeah. like support pregnancy centers or anything like that. I'm like, you know what? You've got a great point. Pro-life is more than, you know, inside the womb. It's outside the womb right. too. And so it's just simple conversations like that, that are possible, by the way, people you disagree with. But having conversations like that, it helps your perspective out a lot because they can kind of show you some areas where, you know, you might be, you might seem uh, hypocritical not mean to yeah but it can be a little bit contradicting and it can help you reflect and right and that's a two-way street too you know you can help them and like i said it's all for sanctification you know yeah go and what i mean by that is uh, you know becoming more like jesus right a good you know a good leader won't surround himself with yes men no um you 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 want to surround yourself with people who are going to disagree with you who who are going to give you a set, a, another perspective that's opposite of your own perspective so that you get a better, wider view. 
But at the end, you've got to have some way to discern the things that are important to hold and, and to hold on to those things. I was thinking about that. Um, there's a really cool illustration um, that um, that in in the jungle when um, when people want to try to um, trap a, a monkey, what they'll do sometimes is they'll take a coconut, a coconut shell, hollow it out, make the make the opening large enough for the monkey's um, hand, their like closed hand, to go inside of it, right? Or, or open open, ha- open hand, hand to go inside of it. And they'll put a stone or something in there and the monkey will hear that or a piece of fruit or something, right? Monkey will hear that or, or sense it's in there and grab onto it. And they'll say the reason why they can get in then is because he refuses to open his hand and let go. If he would just let go, he could get free of the trap. But what happens is they know that once he's in there, he's going to hold on to it and then he's trapped and he can't get out. Which kind of goes along with that passage he just quoted from Thessalonians. Exactly. Though that's what Letting made me go. think of it. That's hold on to what's good. Look, if it's good and if it's important, yeah, hold on to it, grip onto it. Like, don't let go of that. But it's so not, often, it, drop it. so often, man, we've got our hands in the coconut and we're hold, trying to hold on to stones, and it doesn't matter. We just let that jump go, so it's more free. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, to keep going with the illustration, some things in the coconut are worth holding on to, even if it means you die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. Absolutely, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and that's yeah. discernment. Like, yes. how do we discern that that most important thing? And then how does that prioritize the rest of our life? Yes. Which goes to number three. Then. Right, which exa- exactly was what I was going to say. It leads right into <laughs> this third and final point. Um, which so so we we say this uh, pray that your love will keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you can determine what really matters right yeah. and can be pure and blameless in the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God and there's a lot to unpack in that. And um, I think my, my point is that pray that we will allow discernment to guide us to live genuine, fruitful lives. Yeah, that's I was going. I was about to yeah. say that. Yeah, the point that you you pointed out is that allowing that discernment that we that we acquire through love that's grounded in love. When we figure out what really matters, then then that allows us to be pure, live pure and blameless lives in, in the day of Christ. Now it's interesting here because I don't want. Um, I wouldn't want someone who's a who is a who's a non-believer who's never surrendered their life to Christ to read this and think, okay, so what you're saying is, if I do Jeremiah um, everything that's if I if I if I follow my discernment and I do the right things and um, and I and I hold on to what really matters, then I'm going to be pure and blameless in the day of judgment. And that's all, and so that leads to a sense of legalism, right? Yeah. If you forget that your righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, there in verse eleven, it's right. righteousness comes through Jesus Christ, then you can you think, and it's a false, it's just not true. You think that you can obtain this this righteous standing before God on your own, and so that's the thing. Like we receive from Christ. 
and I think this is applicable for Christians too. We receive from Christ, we receive a righteous standing before God. Mm-hmm. But also we receive the fruit of righteousness as Christians. So it's, it's not only do we receive a standing before God, but also he begins working inside of you. It's mm-hmm. the fruit of righteousness. So, mm-hmm. And that's why it's all for God's glory. Right. Because if, if it was me just... And I think there is an active part of it, right? Like we're supposed to discern. We're supposed to read the scriptures and, and discern what's right, what's true. How do I need to act? How do I behave? But in the end, it's Christ working within you. And Christ, and you're working from a right standing from God, which yes. is important. Yeah. Uh, we like to say, I think Jonathan could probably say it better right now, but something like uh, be what you are. Mm-hmm. So in Christ, we are righteous. So mm-hmm. why not we be righteous? Right. So you already are right before God. So then you begin acting. And, and that's, uh, what's that word you used earlier? Sanctification. sanctification. That's the sanctification <laughs> yes. process. Uh, He's been on a long trip. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Went to Oklahoma, forgot the word sanctification. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. Uh, so you know what? Though there's a, there's a good point there. Um, and, and Paul brings this, brings that thread that you just brought brought up there. He brings it back up in this same letter in this in the, the second half of Philippians two, when he says, um, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you both to will and act for His good purpose." So I always hear that, and and, and I think people get that wrong sometimes. Work outward. The salvation that God is doing inwardly right. in you, God inwardly is making is enabling you to do these things because of Jesus' righteousness. Right, He's enabling you. He is the engine that is within you. So you work it out. Do so with fear and trembling, because you realize it's God that's working in you. This is Almighty God inside of you in your heart, and so from that you outwork the in work that's going on inside. And I think that's exactly what you were just saying. And I think it's what Paul says again in, yeah. in, in Philippians 2. Well, and, and the righteousness is right standing before God, but it's also right standing with man. Mm. So he allows us to have both the vertical and the horizontal so that now as I work out my salvation, I'm not doing it to draw attention to myself or all that. I'm doing this for God's glory. And now I'm trying to get other people in the same plane. Where they have right standing before right. God and right standing before men too. Yeah. So you got to have both aspects of it. So it's nothing we do in and of ourselves. It's what God does in us to change us, transform us, which is what discernment's all about, not information, but transformation. And then as we live our lives then, it's all to bring up glory and honor back to God. That's okay. what the whole point of discernment is, is, is. So now if I'm having an argument, am I trying to get people to be attracted to me and my, my eloquent argument? Or am I trying to ultimately get people pointed back to God? I think one of the, I think and you use this because you use the NLT at the end to, to bring this up. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at it here. What the way that the NLT Righteous translates is, yeah, the way the NLT translates this, this part of it is that we would have the righteous character that's produced in us by Jesus Christ. Mm. So it's not even, so again, like you said, it's not even just a righteous standing before God, but a righteous character. When you look at it that way, it's not that I, it's not, a, it's a character that's produced by Jesus Christ, right? It's produced in me by Jesus Christ, but 
it's it's character. Character is what defines us to everyone else around us, Blake. I mean, uh, someone has good character, um, you know, they're they're gonna people are drawn to that, right? I mean, and, and it, you can have a better you can have better influence. Yeah, and that's even like you know to throw it to like kids here. It's like I remember when I was in elementary school, like whenever we do at like classroom awards. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like best all around boy or best all around girl, you know? <laughs> and, you know, I try to live out my, and like, I'm not bragging or anything, but like, I would get that a lot. And because, and, but the thing is, like, that's noticeable. Like, yeah, you no, characters, you know, characters. People, you know <laughs> right. like, yeah. I, I guess what I'm saying. You were the best boy in the whole school. Well, in the class, <laughs> in maybe. The class. I don't know. But it's I like a character think, award, but, right? Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's a good character award. I would have got not, I would have got that award I growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Most improved. No, I'm just kidding. But that, but but to be fair though, I mean, Blake probably came to salvation a lot earlier in life than yeah, you that's did. True. Yeah. And so you know, Jeff post salvation has a better shot at getting the character award <laughs> than Jeff prior to right. salvation. That's yeah. true. That's not to say that you can't have good character. You can't be... Uh, good people, good character, all that. You can be all that without yeah. being a Christian. Right. But, I think, a, but, a, but there's a difference, yes. right? There's a difference, Jeremiah, in in good character produced by Jesus Christ and good character produced by me. Mm. Yeah, I think the difference there is the very end, right? Is, is your character bringing glory to God? Mm. Right. right? Like... Is it self-seeking or self-righteousness, which brings glory to self? Or is it Christ's righteousness and God's righteousness, which brings glory back to God? Right. I think you have to ask why, you know, why do I want to do good works? Yeah. You know, and like Jeremiah said, you got to, it should be, you know, like cause enough, because I love God, I'm going to go love my neighbor. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's by accident Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is, like is, if you don't love God, you can't love your neighbor as yourself. Right. You know? Is it wrong for me? This 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 is a good question because I think some people ask this sometimes. Um, is it wrong for me to have mixed motives when I go to do good things? So, for instance, I hope not. <laughs> I want like uh, I go to help my. You know, my elderly neighbor, I see that her grass is, is, is overgrown. And so I go over there to offer to mow her grass. And she graciously accepts. And I do that in part because I want to bring glory and praise to God. But also in part because it makes me feel good to help other people. And so I, I, I enjoy the, the feeling I get when I help other people. And I enjoy, you know, get, getting that, 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 that feel good. Uh, that you, you know what I'm saying, yeah. and, and I mean, I think I, is it wrong for me to have those mixed motives to 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 do it because at some level I derive pleasure from from helping other people. I think a part of it, like a natural benefit of like helping other people, is like you want to feel good. Mm-hmm. But if it's all about like like if our pleasure is the main reason then i think yeah it's like you're really just trying to you know you're basically kind of putting on a face sometimes though yeah. i think sometimes it's hard to discern what was really motivating me if I'm, being, yeah. if I'm being honest yeah. though yeah. because i can't I, I, I there are a lot there are times i do lots of things well i'll, I'll give you a good example um one um you know i've i've uh trying to take i'm trying to make better life choices in terms of what i eat in terms of what i'm i'm um you know, the, the amount of movements that, that's in my day, things like that, right? And 
on some level, I'm doing it for my own benefit, right? On some level, I just want to feel better. I, I want more energy, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But then I also, I didn't want to just do it just for that. I wanted, I wanted there to be a deeper reason. And, and I believe that I have, you know, if my body's in good shape and I'm taking care and I'm healthy, then I'm going to have more energy to do the things that God wants me to do. It just makes sense, right? So that if somebody asks me to go do something for them or, or I do see somebody that's in need, I'm going to have more energy and I'm going to be less, less likely to be lazy and say, nah, I don't feel like doing that right now, right? Yeah. And so there's, so when I was approaching these decisions, I was like, well, I can do this with just, just my motives in place and those would be good, but I'd rather do it for, for, for better motives than that even. But then it's hard for me to say, like, am I, like when I go to when I go to make the right choice at a restaurant or something, yeah. am I doing it? Am, am I really thinking about the glory of God here? Well, maybe not always, you know. And and and, but I'm wondering. That's where I'm getting at. I guess is it right. wrong? Yeah. Are those mixed motives wrong? And especially if they're mixed motives to the point that you can't tell why you're doing. Well, it. if it's a motive, that's one thing. But if you're just serving, I think I think. Uh, I think there's, there, there's pleasure, regardless if you're a Christian or not, if you do something good for somebody, it's going to make you feel good, mm-hmm. that altruistic feeling that I've done something great. Um, if you do something out of a sense of duty, you may do it, but you don't feel good about it. Right. So I think when serving the Lord, there is a joy in serving the Lord, and especially if you're serving the Lord out of the fruits of the Spirit that He's given you. So I think... That automatically comes, and so that therefore, like if you go on a mission trip, you're going on the trip, and you're doing all this stuff, and you're tired, and you're worn out. But by the time you end the trip, you feel like, man, I really gained a lot from this trip or this experience. I, I gained, and you feel this joy. I mean, it's like VBS right now. Uh, we can all be doing other things on a Sunday night, but we're here helping, and ultimately, we are going to get joy out of that. Right. Uh, but if I'm doing it just to get the joy. To get the feel good high, then I think I got my reward then. But if I'm doing it and realizing that as I serve the Lord, there is going to be joy, mm-hmm. and He He gives us that, mm-hmm. and we should just we should just enjoy it. But at the same time, we're 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 still doing it in order to give glory back to to Jesus Christ. So, yeah. so I, I don't think it's like you know. Uh, it's like you know we're all we're us four are in the ministry, so sometimes it's hard to be motivated to get up and actually do the ministry that day. Yeah, you know you'd rather be home, you'd be asleep, you know, but but and you you do it, you get the fortitude or whatever, or I can know all things through Christ who gives me strength. And you come and you do it, and then you wind up going, man, I'm you know at the, at the end of it, you're tired and everything still, but you feel that sense of joy that okay, I've you know I've served the Lord today. So I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling good about doing good things for God. Okay. Um, because that's just part of our human nature anyway, that, that we want to feel good. I mean, you go do something good for somebody, you're mm-hmm. going to feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go and tell everybody or put a plaque on the wall or, or a trophy <laughs> or something like that, then you're kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. Right, so. right. Well, Jeremiah, you're sitting here listening, and, and I know you have some opinions on this, so uh, share your thoughts. I don't know. I think I think as a Christian, when I go do something with the wrong motives, mm-hmm. it's really hard for me to find joy. Meaning, if I go for a selfish reason, 
I just feel like I wasted my time. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I, I just don't know as as a believer if if the end result is not God being glorified. I just feel like it's really hard to receive joy. So it's kind of a mute question for me. Like, mm-hmm. I, do I have selfish motives? Heck yeah. Like, <laughs> sometimes, and I remember definitely as a kid, I, I don't want to admit to doing this now, uh, but I remember as a kid, my my dad would have me go mow some lawns of, of ladies in our church, and and I knew that that I was being volunteered or voluntold. <laughs> and my dad's like, "Oh, yeah, my son's a Christian; he'll come do it, right?" But but at the end of the day, I wanted them to pay me, right? Right? Like I had selfish motives. Yeah. Like I wasn't just going because I was the kindness of my heart. I was going because my dad told me, and because I was hoping they would pay me, and they mm-hmm. normally did, but. At least a little bit, and then of course, you you're more happy to go to certain laws because you know they <laughs> they, go they typically do a little better, right? <laughs> right so right. it's I mean that's a kind of a, a younger life thing. I still have these struggles, right? But but in my older life, I do things a lot that I don't want to do. I do things out of legalism sometimes, just because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do, mm-hmm. and I don't find joy. I mean, I, I don't think there's ever a situation where I I did something and, like, patted myself on the back unless I can clearly see that God was glorified. Mm-hmm. You see what I, I don't yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say. But, really. Well, I'll, I'll give you a really good example of who gets tripped up on this a lot, and that's musicians. Mm-hmm. Because, and, and to some level preachers, too, um, if we're talking about areas of ministry some guys some guys just are very gifted speakers and they know they're good right some guys are very gifted musicians and they know they're good and they like to hear that they're good right and so it becomes a um instead of deriving joy from just doing the thing that that god's called you to do it's like, well, I'm not going to get joy from my effort unless I also get... Pats on the back. Pats positive on the back. Feedback. Positive feedback. Yeah. Like people shaking my hand at the door telling me that's the best message they've ever heard. And um, they're lying, by the way. <laughs> or, I've heard, uh, that, heard that from the same people. I'm like, or, he said that last time. It or a, always be better. Or, a, or applause at the end. If the, you're listening to this, do not repeat that, please. Or, a, or applause at the end of a song. Yeah. No, I think some people are, are genuine when they say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are really genuine when, Wait, they, when we're they're just teasing. We're just teasing. But yeah. um, I'm not talking about myself here. I'm just talking in generalities. But I'm saying, you know... There, there are people who preach funerals, sing at funerals, and maybe they do it expecting to hear. And if they don't hear something, then then all of a sudden, or if they don't get that honorarium or something, then they feel like it's a waste of time, or it wasn't it wasn't good, right? Um, if I don't get applause at the end of my solo, then I've I I haven't I haven't achieved anything. And, and, and then they beat themselves up if they do make a mistake. Yeah. Because, and so, they, because then you're in the spotlight and it's about you instead of, I'm, I mean, not, I'm, not, right. I'm not here to draw attention to myself. I'm here as a foul, uh, uh, flawed human being saying, 
I'm with you guys, but let's let's right. Give everything and it's easy. Go. It's easy to use these guys as examples and go, well, you know, they're doing it for all the wrong reasons. But the problem is, is that people who have other skills, it's rare that you use those skills specifically to worship or to minister. Yeah. You know, for instance, a basketball player, a really great basketball player, he might be able to use his skills to get a to gain a platform to worship by sharing the gospel. But his actual performance on the court isn't worship. It's not. Right. It's not real. That's not a spiritual gift. Right. And yet, you know, he's not. If it was the case that all of a sudden playing basketball and doing well at your play at your sport. Um, actually brought glory to God somehow, right? Then, then you can understand why he would be disappointed if he performed poorly. Well, musicians deal with this all the time, and the the the, the, the there's a difference there, right? Um, we just don't we don't have an analog for that for these other things that people do and crave praise for in the secular world, um, and is expected in that world. That it doesn't happen here. I mean, I think nothing else quite like music. Even even a preacher who's a really good preacher, it's still not the same thing as a musician who's doing who's using their abilities, their talents to to bring to try and bring glory to God. It's really hard to separate. Well, because music it's is hard to separate performance this. based. It is. I'm, I'm performing, but I'm also leading worship in my performance. Yeah, and, yeah. And to be able to step back and say, I'm doing this for God, not for for people, right? I'm just saying it. I think I, I think what we're talking about when you, you're trying to derive joy specifically from from the things that you're doing, you want your primary motive to be God's glory. I think you're right. I just think sometimes it, because of those those mixed motives, it can sometimes be a little bit trickier than that. Yeah. So I guess for me to put it simply, I think that when I do things with selfish motives, it doesn't lead to joy mm -hmm. ever. Yes. So do I? Do I sometimes have selfish motives? But yes, I, I do. I'll straight up admit that. But when that happens, and I reflect on mm -hmm. what I've done for the day, it doesn't end for me in a pat on the back. It's like, man, I I could have done better. I could have done this for the glory of God. Why didn't I? When that guy asked me what my motives were, why didn't I just go ahead and tell him because Jesus asked me to be here or whatever or because. Uh, I love you, or what, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. um, if I do things with a selfish motive or out of legalism, at the end of the day, it just doesn't bring me joy as a Christian. Yeah, yeah I'll give, and, and just from the music perspective, because I am a musician and, and I've dealt with both sides of this. I, I mean, I've, I've craved the praise of men before, and I, but I've also been, I've also been uh, in, a, in a worship service where, man, the music could have been way better. Like I know the music could have been better and I know we hit bad notes and I know that my voice cracked and all this kind of stuff. But I also know that, uh, that it was just such a spiritual experience. That it just felt God's presence in, in, in the praise and that not only I, but everyone in the, in, in the house enjoyed worshiping in that moment. And so all that other stuff just got the window. I don't, I don't really care whether it was a perfect performance or not. Because my joy gets, I get my joy from 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 just that, from do it, from bringing praise and glory to God. You know, sometimes sometimes you it's just the words you're singing, um, even if you sing them wrong, or, like, or or sing the wrong melody, or get the tune wrong, or your voice cracks, or whatever, or you play a bad note. 
the words are so powerful in that moment. The message you're conveying from your heart is so powerful. It just kind of overpowers the rest of that stuff. Right. Even if people who, even if people go, well, I would never pay to hear that, right? Well, I don't care if you pay to hear it. <laughs> no, I, it's, not about, it's not about whether or not it's pleasing to your ears as much as it is about whether it's pleasing in, 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 in spirit. Now, that being said, nobody wants to listen to bad music week after week right. either. You know, I get that. But, but I guess I'm just trying to say um, bad performances don't define whether or not something is, whether, you can, whether you're bringing glory to God or not. Well, I mean, like the measure then is if I, what I just did is, is to try to help people grow in their relationship with God, try to help people uh, experience Christ maybe for the first time. Uh, you know, if my motivation is that, then all the other uh, aspects of of determining whether that was a success or not are moot. Like mm-hmm. nickels, noses, applause, all that doesn't really matter. Right. If I see if I see one person and they, you see some growth or see something happen in one person's life, that makes all the difference. It does. And so the the, you know, the frustrating thing for us as pastors and all is sometimes we don't see that immediate response right away. Right. And so it's hard for us to really judge it whether, is. whether what we're saying is having an impact. So we have to just leave all that in God's hands anyway and let him settle it up at the end. So yeah. which is what Paul is saying. He was like, all this is going to this final conclusion to bring glory to God and, and the day of Christ, you know, when he returns. So. Yep. All right. Um, well, we'll wrap that uh, this session up then. Uh, this is a good spot to stop. And uh, we will join you hopefully again on Wednesday. If you're a regular listener, we'll put out, we're going to try and put out two of these this week. And when we talk again on Wednesday, we'll get together around the table and talk about a very um, misunderstood verse that uh, I thought, Jeff, you did a great job talking about yesterday. And that's Philippians 4.13. Um, the, the verse is that um, uh, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me or through Christ who strengthens me. And we'll talk about what that really means and the impact it can have on our Christian lives next time. So until then, have a great rest of your Monday or whatever day it is that you're listening to this. <laughs> and so long.